0: What is your killer strategy? The one that gives your business the ultimate bulletproof competitive advantage. Welcome to Your Advantage Play with your host, Joel Block. Former professional blackjack player and card counter who left Las Vegas and spent his life in that giant casino on Wall Street in the hedge fund and venture capital businesses. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. A lot of executives have told me that they've kept their pricing stable for the last few years. And then they kind of follow up and they say, with all that's going on in the economy, should we update our pricing and our packaging? And if we change it, how much should we adjust it? And how might that affect our acquisition of new customers? To answer those questions, Dan Belkowski. Dan, welcome to the show.
1: Good to be here, Joel. I'm super excited for our conversation. Thank you for having me on. These are, uh, are very
0: complicated questions that uh, executives think about. They don't want to price too low because they leave money on the table. They don't want to price too high because they leave customers in on the table.
1: You know, So how do you kind of strike the balance? How does that happen? So I think the first question is when it comes to pricing, most executives think that what you charge determines your success. In fact, who and how you charge determines your success. If I was advising the CEOs, I tell them in general, I spend most of my time on what the price tag goes on and much less time worrying about what specific number goes on the price tag itself.
0: Really? I mean, I mean, I totally get you got to focus on the product. You got to focus on the value. You got to focus on the mess. I mean, you got to focus on a lot of things, but ultimately it all kind of boils
1: down to a number, doesn't it? So when I think about pricing, I think it's important to take a zoom out and think about, one, pricing doesn't include just a price level. When I talk about pricing, I will often use the term pricing and packaging and then just shorten that to pricing because it gets tiring saying pricing and packaging over and over. But actually, it's that packaging element that really is much more key to your success than the than the individual price level. And so the price level, you know, a lot of folks will start a conversation saying, should this be $10 per user per month or $100 user per month or $19.95? And those are all very interesting, fun conversations. But those conversations all happen at the very end of the process. Those are tweaking optimization around the edges. The packaging elements are much more important, as well as really understanding who your customers are and what are the customer segments that you serve. because. Your packaging, and we can get into a much longer explanation of this, but your packaging helps you tell the value story and align value with the product that you're selling.
0: Now, when you talk about packaging, you're not talking about the physical plastic that wraps the package up. You're talking about sort of the uh, the, the the way you describe it, the way you think about it, the the value proposition that's built into it. Is that kind of what you're talking about?
1: Yeah. So. Normally, when I deal with companies, it's B2B SaaS companies primarily. And so when we think about packaging in that context, no, it's not the the shrink wrapping, uh, the colorful uh, box that it comes in. There are uh, corollaries in the CPG world that we could we could use as well. But when I think about packaging as it pertains to software specifically, there's four general elements that go along with that. There's a price metric. This is the unit of value I charge for. So oftentimes a piece of software might be charged by the number of seats, who, can, who could, has access to the software. Maybe it's number of API transactions, amount of data stored. For example, if you have like Dropbox, they might charge you a different amount depending upon if you're using a gigabyte of storage versus a terabyte of storage, for example. So that'd be the price metric. Then you think about the price model, so is this a subscription? Is this a perpetual transaction? Is this a pay-as-you-go model, a utility billing model like you have for your electricity? Use Some amount of electricity at the end of the month, Austin Energy sends me a a bill for that. That'd be very different than my Netflix subscription, very different than if I'm going to a store and, and buying a... A can of Coke, right? That's a perpetual transaction. There's no, no subscription model or or, or continued payments uh, there. So that describes how and when payments flow through a system. Then you have the elements of what we call offer configurations or bundles. So this would be the, the set of features that go together into potentially a, a package, an add-on, a, a particular tier. So often in SaaS, we see like good, better, best offerings. And then finally, it would be ideas of uh, price fences. So this would be, how do I charge two separate customers the same or different prices for the same product. And we see this all the time in uh, non-technical goods. If I get on a bus, I'm going to pay one price for my bus ticket, but a senior citizen or a student might pay a different price. So that would be an example of an identity type price fence. Uh, oftentimes, we see volume type price fences, where you know first seat I buy of a, so- a piece of software costs one dollar value, but if I buy a thousand seat, you know that costs a different price because cha- the price changes on volume. So these would be the elements of packaging that really help tell your value story. And you could see that at the end of all that, yes, I've got a number attached to a price metric, but I've got all these other dimensions that are much more important and actually much more difficult to change in a B two B context.
0: Like honestly, well, a- you know, we we could we could talk about twenty different things just from that one little thing alone. But uh, you know, there are certain things about how companies price their goods that sometimes is really irritating to the marketplace. You know, For example, uh, inventory-based pricing, uh, which is a pretty normal thing that companies do. You get on an airplane, uh, forget about the bus where the senior citizen pays a different price. I think we all kind of get that senior citizens have fixed money and, and maybe they need a little bit, a little break, and that children maybe need a little break. I mean, I think we're all kind of used to that. But imagine, you know, you get on an airplane and you pay $200 for a seat, and the guy's sitting in the exact same seat next to you paid $800. That's one of the things that kind of upsets people. Um, I mean, it happens and it happens in hotels, and companies have gotten really good at selling their inventory. But, uh, you know, do companies feel any backlash from that sort of thing or what happens?
1: Yeah, so I think what you're talking about there is what we call the pricing space yield management. Uh in general, you know, I don't know that people feel uh, that way. It's it's pretty widely accepted. I think there's statistics I saw from, you know, Amazon changes prices several million times per day and still customers happily shop at Amazon uh, every day, right? It's become uh, a bane to probably every other retailer on the planet, but you know, it's a common practice uh, there. It's common practice across all retailers and yet the life goes on. I think what you're pointing to, there's two kind of foundational relationships that we need to think of when it comes to uh, price. And so that's price's relationship to volume and this is where the the yield management, inventory management aspect comes in, and then there's prices relationship to value, and it tends to be a little bit knee jerk that you know from econ 101 undergrad uh, remembering something about a demand curve and like oh as a as, as price and quantity they move in lockstep, people tend to have this view of of pricing you know as predominantly driven by by volume, but it's what I would try to educate my clients on specifically is that the price is relationship to value is actually much more important. And I think when you're thinking about the the student or the senior citizen, uh you know there's there's an element of, of price sensitivity and, and, and the value they get is, is fundamentally different than somebody else, right? So you think about in terms of uh, matinee pricing, right? Uh, The price sensitivity of somebody who's able to go to the noon Thursday showing is different than somebody who's go. You know, everyone wants to go after work at six PM. So those are some of the different elements that you really I coach my clients to think through.
0: Yeah, you know, I I was sitting here thinking about this, uh, the economic thing, you know, the demand curve and. And I wasn't so much thinking about that, except for that. Uh, you know, economists talk about how you optimize revenue through optimized pricing. You know, so if you sell a certain number more at a lower price, you're going to make more money than if you sell a certain number higher than a lower price. You know, I mean, there's there's an optimum price that will generate the best number of dollars. Um, does the value formula, which is kind of it hadn't really been contemplated in economics 30 or 50 years ago, does value change that uh, that optimization formula or is it just a factor in the same thing?
1: The only reason I'm pausing is because I'm trying to. Av- this well, the question you just asked could probably be an entire semester-long course in pricing and, and economic theory. So uh, the short answer, which is, which is what we want to avoid <laughs> here on the show. Yeah. We- <laughs>
0: what
1: what I would say generally is that in most B two B companies, you know, and I, I learned this lesson right off the bat. I got you know solid grounding in, in pricing economic theory from you know my business school courses. And then you know, all excited, took that out to the real world and run into what a lot of B2B senior leaders run into when they try to apply you know, pricing practices, uh, is that this whole concept of the demand curve, or you know, as we refer to, or as economists term, the price uh, elasticity that the demand curve is derived from, it tends to, it's like the Sasquatch, it a lot of people have heard of it, but very rarely have has a B two B senior leader seen one in the wild. And so, the ability to actually use that in setting prices is is quite difficult. And I think it's it's a useful tool for an economist to describe industries. If we want to talk about okay, as the price of milk changes, does that affect how people spend money on bread or orange juice or you know consumption of milk directly? But if you're an individual leader sitting in a company trying to figure out what to price your product, I think thinking about this whole idea of this demand curve, this magical demand curve you're going to be able to reference to set your price optimally with, I've, I know what the formulas are that you're referencing. I think they're nice in economic theory and then theory meets reality and those things cannot don't usually yeah, apply. I, listen, I,
0: I sort of think so too. You yeah. know, you said something else that uh, you were talking about matinees. Uh, I was uh, at the movies with my wife a couple weeks ago, and they showed all these previews, as they always do. And for the very first time, I had this uh, really interesting thought. Uh, I'm thinking, wow, that looks like a really, really good movie. I want to see that one in the theater. And what I really was saying was that movie's worth a $30 or $40 entry fee to get into the theater, plus a box of popcorn, plus dinner before. So it's, you know, it's $100 to go out for the night that movie's worth $100. And then other movies look just horrible. And I said, you know what, if I watched it, that's an Amazon movie for $2.99. And I really, I put, I, I I didn't do it on purpose, but each of the movies kind of, kind of went into a bucket. You know, it's the $2.99 bucket or the $30 bucket. And, you know, all of a sudden there's this incredible choice you wait a couple of weeks, it'll be on Amazon or, or you want to see it right away. And, you know, so it's interesting, kind of just like that uh, matinee thing. Um, I found myself putting these movies into different buckets.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, actually it wasn't too long ago, I was actually reading an article about the the lost opportunity of cinemas to to differentially price movies because yeah you go see the number one box office movie the new Marvel Avengers uh you know uh movie it's going to be what $10 a ticket you go to see some independent flick that only 1000 people in the entire country are actually interested in watching it's also going to be $10 entry fee and that seems from pricing theory that seems like it's a mistake now there's a lot of reasons uh there's there's competitive industry effects right you've got uh, different agents at play you've got the movie studios versus the theater owners who are, you know, they have a relationship and so their ability to to price uh, differentially may affect uh, dynamics within those relationships. But yes, it is generally a suboptimal fact of the matter that they would not uh, price those those differently. I think also though, what you threw into the mix there that I want to make sure we don't gloss over is you had a whole experience that you described as you talked about going to the movies. you know I'm going with my my significant other we're gonna have dinner before you know we're gonna there's a whole ceremony of of waiting in line for the popcorn and the smells and the the memories that come up and there's going into the theater and watching the previews and you know there's the, there's a, a shared excitement. It's not just the movie, because I think that was the, the you collapse that into, oh, well, I could watch it on Netflix at home versus I could do all these other things. And I think this is where this concept of value really comes in. It's like, what is it that you're really buying when you describe all of that versus what is it when you're sitting on your home at your, on your couch, you know, open up Netflix or open up Amazon and purchase that movie. You, you're, you're really engaging in two fundamentally different experiences that have different value to you. So, uh, and, and obviously there's, there's different willingness to pay for those <laughs> two experiences.
0: Well, you know, listen, so one of those experiences ends up costing a hundred bucks by the time the evening is over. And one of those experiences where you it just, the movie's not worth uh you know, going through that experience, and so you just say, "Okay, look, I'll watch it real quick. I have nothing else to do uh for two dollars and ninety nine cents. I'll put it on Amazon and so I think it's interesting it's part of the value chain for sure, but I just never had the experience of uh of saying it goes in this bucket or that bucket, and here's how I want to deal with those things and that was kind of an interesting an interesting deal. Let me bring up something else uh, it seems to me that a lot of companies uh you know price their. Uh, their goods in a way that encourages uh, bad behavior by consumers, and you know, for example, uh, if taxes in the United States were ten percent, nobody would cheat. At forty percent, lots of people are incentivized to do do whatever they got to do: hire accountants, lawyers, reorganize their affairs, do you know, just do every single thing they can do to make their tax bill lowest possible. At ten percent, people really wouldn't do anything. I mean, it really. And the truth is that. I Don't know if the government would really even get any less money at 10% than they do the way that they do it now, because it would just be a simpler system. But Netflix seems to do the same thing, they're having trouble with all this password sharing. So it's 20 bucks for a netflix account, or I don't know, that's what I pay for 20 bucks, and uh, you know, and, and they don't want any sharing. But if they don't get the pricing right, people are gonna either cancel or they're gonna figure out something different. Seems to me like tell you what, here's what we're going to do. It's 20 bucks for you, for your household or your family can have it for 30 bucks. I mean, how do you think they're going to go about getting that price uh, correct?
1: Oh man, there's so much involved in that question. So let me, let me start at sort of a 10,000 foot view of how I think about pricing, because I think it'll, it may help set a terrain for your listeners. So we've, Start by thinking about customer segments. So I think, uh, and then we've talked about value and I think the other element, one of the other elements we haven't talked about is competition. So I always start by thinking about customer segments because the customer segments will define individually the value you bring to them as well as the competitive alternatives that are are available. And really when we think about pricing, we want to think about what is our differentiated value that we bring for a particular customer segment. So those three, three things all come together. So I think that you know you made uh if you pardon uh, I think you you uh, made a, a mistake when you said you know all people would do this and I see this very commonly among clients and leaders where they say all customers want this all customers do this uh if we had taxes here this is how people would behave and I don't I don't think that that's correct and I think it really Undermines the power of thinking in terms of individual customer segments, how those segments are, and what they value, what their individual competitive alternatives are, because I think there's, you know, there's an element of there's, you know, we just think in terms of a broad based uh, income based segmentation. If you're making thirty thousand dollars a year, whatever your tax rate is, you probably don't have. You know, money to go hire a four hundred dollar an hour tax uh, tax accountant to help you reduce your tax bill. So the that competitive alternative isn't available for a low income producing person. Now, if you're you know Bill Gates or Elon Musk and. You know, if forty percent tax rate or ten percent tax rate, it's like I want to pay the least amount possible. I don't care what the tax rate is because that's going to be billions of dollars either way. Uh, So I'm gonna I'm gonna take advantage of everything the law affords me. Uh, So I think that's that's important. And then you know, as we think about competitive alternatives, I think particularly as your Netflix example, um, I don't know what you know Netflix will ultimately do. And if I did. Let's just say I wouldn't need to be working right now um, because I'd be a massive billionaire in the stock market. Uh, But the idea is that Netflix behavior is fundamentally getting driven by two things, which is the maturity of their company, their uh, their product, their growth stage, industry, and, uh, and competition. So, if you've noticed, they were a massive beneficiary of COVID. Everyone staying at home, a bunch of new subscribers. What else happened? Every other company, whether it's Disney or Paramount, uh, even CNN <laughs> briefly, everyone decided digital media subscription is the future and so now we have you know <laughs> we've <laughs> we have uh, achieved the Nirvana that everyone wanted, which is we disintegrated the, the cable bundle and instead now we have you know a million paid services that we have to pay for individually so I don't I don't know some people got their wish of like the death to the to, to you know Comcast or whoever it was but it said now I've got to pay 20 different companies you know 799 a month. So you know, Netflix is responding to a different competitive environment. And within that, I think, you are using this concept of segmentation, there are going to be customers who, yes, they were college students, you are sharing with their friends in the other uh, dorm room, or maybe the, the college kid was at school, was using the parent's account. Uh, you know, there's going to be people that have to true up. There's going to be people who are playing the game fair the whole time, right? And they're going to be in different situations. And those people are going to have to make different decisions based upon the alternatives that are, are available to them. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: No, no, it makes sense. And, you know, uh, I think you're absolutely correct that uh, it's always a little dangerous to generalize. Uh, But, you know, I have uh, been very successful by creating rules of thumb, which are kind of general. And uh, that has kind of always worked for me. Uh, Bottom line is, I I think we could get really granular and we could be really specific. But uh, I've just always done a good job of uh, doing a little bit of general. Uh, application, especially for things like pricing and rules of you know whatever, it just it just has kind of worked for me. So uh, for whatever that's worth, but I think you're <laughs> correct to point out can't uh, can't put everybody into the same bucket for sure. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah, it's, it's it's it goes back to what I said at the beginning, right? It's it's who and how you charge matters, not what you charge. It's so critical because there's different customer segments will have different competitive alternatives available to them. The value you create in their specific situation will be different depending upon their particular constraints, context and needs. Um, and so if we believe that you know, price and value are fundamentally interlinked and your pricing is also fundamentally driven by the differentiated value you compare to it's, its segments are so critical to the pricing exercise. So uh, it's, and, and I did mean to put you on the spot. I, I run it like this is, this is the number one thing I harp on so uh, no, 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 thank no, you, no. thank you for setting me up. No, no problem.
0: So <laughs> let, let's um, so let's try to bring this. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, our show is really focused on uh, you know senior executives of middle market companies. So how do these people go about thinking about pricing? Should they think about uh, listen? We're in an economic uh, you know time right now where things are uh, kind of having a we're having a hard time. Should we uh, you know what should we be doing? Should we be raising prices? Should we be holding our prices low and try to squeeze margin in a different way? I mean, what should, what should companies be thinking about? Uh, you know, in the in these turbulent times.
1: Yeah. So pricing is always going to be you know a balance between understanding and balancing between your customer costs the value you create for customers your overall strategic goals and competitors and their potential responses so you know, it's hard to give you sort of broad based you know advice because it's going to depend on balancing those particular factors for you you know no matter what you know method you approach you know, the critical things to think about is you know, listen to your customers i if there's one thing i'd put on a billboard it'd be go talk to your customers because you will get so much insight into how they perceive your product, the outcomes it creates for them, the value that they get out of it, their insights on, you know, are you willing to pay? Uh, So understanding those things are critical no matter what stage you're at.
0: Well, so what are some of the things that people should be thinking about? What are some of the elements? So, I mean, you don't have to give a broad brush piece of advice, but, you know, here are the five steps or here are the four components or, you know, what are things that people should be thinking about if they were to sit around a board table and to have a discussion about this topic?
1: Yeah, so I think first is, you know, pricing should be part of the conversation from day one of a product development process. Too often I see companies that, you know, they slot pricing and packaging conversations right into the go-to-market before a product launches. And, you know, at that point, you've invested a ton of resources, millions or tens of millions of dollars into product development that you might not be able to monetize or you realize nobody's actually willing to pay a certain amount for you to do it. So if there's one thing that companies can do, it's, if you're developing something new, like, yes, build it, build it, and they will come. Maybe if you're Steve Jobs or Kevin Costner, uh, other than that, uh, you know, have willingness to pay conversations super early uh, and figure out wh- how customers value the, what you're building and are they willing and able to pay for your product and then build a product around that. Um, again, I think understanding overall company strategy, pricing strategy follows from company strategy and really understanding where do you plan on competing like and how will you will you be able to win and can you win in those categories right so again going back to understanding all the customer segments that are in market we need to have a solid company strategy. This is a lot of the problem I run into is that we, you know, people think they have a pricing problem. And actually they have got an overall company strategy problem because they haven't really made a decision of where they're going to play and when. And you can't have a good pricing conversation until you, until you figure that out. Right. And that it's at a higher level. Um, and so and then it goes to those elements I was thinking about, I was talking about before, which is you know, understanding which are the customer segments that are available to you. What is the value you create for them? What are the competitive alternatives? And then making those critical strategic decisions of how you're going to, you know, build a plan that that captures uh, that market opportunity.
0: And what what are the uh, what are the kinds of things that get in the way of companies doing a good job with this? I mean, I mean, where's the breakdown? I mean, why isn't it easy to do this?
1: Mm. So. I think, again, there's a uh, disconnect between what (laughs) – there was a quote I was – I actually was looking at putting it in a future blog, but it's – I think it was by uh, John Maynard Keynes, and it's like, uh, men are often at the – being controlled by some long-dead economist, and so I think it's you know, these ideas that they they remember sometime in their history that, oh yeah, I took an economics class and they said something about supply and demand. And so I'm supposed to figure out this demand curve. And then that's how I set prices. And I think it just, it leads to a lot of pain and suffering. And they do, <laughs> when they realize they're like, oh, I actually don't have, you know, I, I found this formula, but I actually don't have any of the values that I'm supposed to insert in this formula. So there's a big gap between you know, theory and practice. There's a misunderstanding of, you know customer segmentation and understanding that value is also a critical relationship and if you don't you need to understand that value side of the equation i think it's just it's just not ingrained in uh, practitioners uh, you know maybe maybe at the ceo level but definitely not you know i, I interact with a lot of product managers product marketers uh, they th- they think in terms of features uh, not in terms of overall customer value and that really becomes a a barrier to successful pricing adoption
0: you know, one of the other things I, that, that you sort of said uh, kind of maybe danced around a little bit was that sometimes it's not a pricing problem. Sometimes it's a strategy problem. And then let's go back to the movie theaters for a second, because they have a terrible legacy problem that they just need to address. And like the pricing of the tickets is it, it shows up in pricing, like the pricing of the tickets for great movies, maybe should be more for not such great movies. Maybe could be less. Uh you know, but but they've got this system where they have agents, they have the the, uh, the the people who rent the movies, people who distribute the movies, people who make the movies. They they got all these different layers of people, and they all have an opinion. And the move the, the kind of the the business has been working a certain way for a long time, so they don't have a lot of latitude in how they do their pricing. And and there's a lot of things in our society that are legacy driven that are broken. Uh, You know, our education system in the country is not going that great, but there's a lot of people that have a vested interest in kind of keeping it the way it's always been. You know, like there's a lot of teachers that don't want to change. A lot of administrators don't want to change. So how do you address pricing when the real problem is probably strategic or maybe it's something else? I mean, if you were the advisor to these companies, how would you help them move from a- and get them focused on B.
1: Yeah, so I think you know you bring up some really good questions. I think one of the things that is often a problem is a lack of uh, governance as it changes the pricing, and so that would include uh, a, a somewhat of a defined process of. What are the things we consider around pricing? How is pricing done around here? How do we harness the better angels of our nature so that you know we can rationalize our way through pricing challenges? And it's not just the enterprise sales guy who comes and says, "I've got this six hundred thousand dollar deal that's holding up," you know, our meeting our numbers for the quarter, and we have to give this customer a fifty percent discount. Right? You've thought through that before. Uh, you have an owner. Of the process, and generally, I also advise a pricing committee. Uh, it's like, oh, how's one way to not get anything done is like form a committee. Well, until uh, pricing adopts the maturity of product management, the product manager in a company is often the walking embodiment of the product. Right? Their responsibilities to listen to all the needs of the internal stakeholders, all the other functional uh, leaders, uh, as well as the needs of the of the customers and and the market and you know, the partners, et cetera. And 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 drive make those decisions to drive the business forward. And until pricing has an equivalent level of uh, you know leadership and, and ownership, right? It's very you know difficult to you know get any of these problems fixed, right? So having ownership and having a process, I think, is very fundamental. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, we'll stop there.
0: Well, listen, I I think that um, what what my big takeaway from this whole discussion is is that pricing is complicated. Pricing is bigger than just dollars, and, and companies really need to get focused on it. Um, you know, if you were to put a a single strategy in place, you know, which we call an advantage play, really great strategies, these really uh, Sun Tzu kind of, uh, you know, uh, killer strategies, we call those advantage plays. If you were to say there's a single advantage play you've seen a company adopt, any any uh, any sense about what that is, what your advantage play would be?
1: Yeah, I would say you know you don't really have a choice of whether or not you will have a pricing conversation with your customer. The only decision you get to make is when you're going to have that conversation And so you know sometimes people will be like, oh do we talk about price at the beginning of a sales call It's like, no, you talk about price as soon as you're starting to develop the product before you've invested you know millions of dollars right because so, because the other extreme is that poor sales guy who said, hey we've launched and he's on the first call with a customer and they' go, how much did it cost? he tells them and then they he gets laughed at, and they realize that oh wait we've invested all this money so you really don't get a a choice of if you're going to have the customer conversation about pricing you only get to choose when and having it as early as possible is i think would be an absolute game changer for your audience
0: awesome well you know listen the uh the promise of the show is always to deliver the inside track the best the smartest the fastest way to make something happen and And I think that you've uh, absolutely lived up to the promise. And when somebody lives up to the promise, we call that person an advantage player. And uh, that makes you an advantage player in our eyes. And and we appreciate you being with us. And hopefully you'll stay a friend of the show. And uh, and, and maybe we can call back on uh, on you and ask for some more input at some point in the future. Sound okay?
1: Sounds awesome. I appreciate the opportunity,
0: Joel. I hope it was valuable for your audience. I think it was just great, man. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you uh, being with us. And listening to Your Advantage Play with your host, Joel Block. To learn more about how to work with Joel and cultivate your own high limit advantage plays, visit theadvantageplayer.com. Subscribe to Your Advantage Play wherever you get your podcasts.